The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Happy New Year, viewers and listeners. So excited to have you all here with me in 2024. I wish you happiness, health, and I wish that you don't go through what I'm going through right now, where every document I'm writing. I'm still writing 2023 on everything. And I don't actually start writing the correct year until like March. I hope that doesn't happen to you. I hope the new year is a far more pleasant experience for all of you. Thank you for starting the new year with all of us. We got some great guests this week, great topics this week, and we're just so happy to have you along for the ride. Our guest coming up later in the show is going to be jazz luminary, Peter Martin, founder of the jazz education platform, open studio, Really terrific educator is going to have a lot of great advice for you. We're going to learn a little bit more about Open Studio along the way. Joining us as our co-host this week, a favorite around here at Break the Business, musician, producer, and composer of the BTB funk song that plays before every show on the live stream, Zach Sloan's with us. Hi, Zach. Why, hello. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. I assume that when... You celebrate the new year as, as any good lawyer does. You're not celebrating the ball dropping or confetti or Ryan Seacrest or anything like that. Like any good lawyer, the only thing you're celebrating on January 1st is public domain day. Yes, you indeed. No, know it. I, we talked extensively last week, Zach, about public domain day, fast approaching and I feel like it wouldn't be right if we didn't get your public domain day perspective as a musician, as an attorney. You, I know you got a lot to say on this stuff. I know you probably got some thoughts on Mickey Mouse and, and Steamboat Willie and all that. I'm just curious, how how does your household celebrate public domain day? Like, like you know, do you have a do you have a public domain day tree? What, what do you do to celebrate this really powerful day in copyright law? where all of the 1928 works of art, including the original Mickey Mouse Steamboat Willie cartoon, belongs to the world. You know, what I do is I take all the ornaments off of our Christmas tree. Um, I don't tell my wife I'm going to do this because she would say no. And I have learned that it's better to ask for forgiveness repeatedly than permission. Uh, then I, what I do is I take clippings of everything that I'm excited about coming into the public domain, and I put them up on the tree piece by piece. And then I pretend to know what that stuff is when Annette asks me. What is that? Um, I knew about Mickey Mouse, and I was pretty, or Steamboat Willie, excuse me. I was pretty excited about that. Um, but the tree has since been um, obliterated. <laughs> well, it's basically, it's Mickey Mouse. Mm -hmm. It's the original Tigger from the A.A. Milne Winnie the Pooh books. And then just a bunch of jazz records that I'm guessing our guest and Peter, Peter Pan. What about Peter Pan, producer Lauren? Peter Pan is on the public domain now. Really? How did you miss that? Like, that's on my tree. Because <laughs> I'll tell you why. I mean, th that is amazing. I'll tell you why I missed that one, Lauren, because 
I got so obsessed, like most copyright lawyers did, with the original Mickey Mouse, Steamboat Willie entering the public domain, and how the internet has just lost its mind about this, Zach. I don't know if yes. you've seen the despicable, horrifying things that the internet is already doing now that the original 1928 Mickey Mouse is in the public domain. Um, I want to go over a couple of them. First of all, um, a, a listener sent me this. Uh, it was just an internet meme of Mickey Mouse as Steamboat Willie just saying horrific things as quotes. Like it was just a, <laughs> it was a picture of, of Steamboat Willie spinning the captain's wheel as a meme, and then it would have quotes like "I am the Zodiac Killer, Steamboat Willie," <laughs> or uh, wait, I have another one here. I committed a hit and run, and I don't know if the person survived. Steamboat Willie. OJ didn't do anything wrong. Steamboat Willie. So we're already making Steamboat Willie just do mean, awful, terrible things. Just as we did with Winnie the Pooh. I mean, what's the difference, Ryan? Well, just as we did with Winnie the Pooh. And in fact, one of the most notable things that happened when Winnie the Pooh entered the public domain two years ago was that some sadistic filmmaker created a horror slasher flick mm-hmm. uh, with, with Winnie the Pooh and Piglet, who both entered the domain, uh, public domain, as central characters. It was called Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey. You and me, Zach, had a lot of fun talking about yeah. I showed it to my fourth graders down there in Florida. It was fantastic. You were the one who got, so you're the teacher. That got yeah. I, Colorado for that. Yeah. Um, well, you'll have another opportunity to traumatize your children because uh, Steamboat Willie is going to get the slasher horror movie treatment now that it is entering the public domain. This is from Variety. Lauren, I don't know if you have the article about this, um, but Variety is reporting that filmmaker Stephen Lamort, now that Steamboat Willie, the original Mickey Mouse, has entered the public domain. He is set to direct, and uh, Stephen Lamort, I should say, is set to direct an identified horror comedy based on the Steamboat Willie cartoon. In the movie, a sadistic mouse will torment a group of unsuspecting fairy passengers, and production is set to begin in the spring. And they actually got the filmmaker to give a quote as to what possessed him to uh, make this Steamboat Willie's first public domain appearance in a major motion picture. And Laporte said, quote, Steamboat Willie has brought joy to generations. And I wanted to stop that. No, he didn't say that. He said, Steamboat Willie has brought <laughs> generations. But beneath that beautiful exterior lies a potential for pure unhinged hair. Yeah, we all thought that. It's a project I've been thinking of, and I can't wait to unleash this twisted take on this beloved character to the world. Yep. Stephen Laporte got all the letters from all of America's children saying we want more than anything for Mickey Mouse to be in a horrific slasher movie. It's what the founding fathers would have wanted, Zach Slug. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, if you look, I'm just, listen, here's what I want you to do. Imagine Mickey Mouse. Now imagine just from the chin up, that's the face of a serial killer. And I think that really, I don't think this is a twisting of Steamboat Willing. Willie, I think this is exposing the true character. And th- there are layers to this character. And I think, you know, Homicidal Maniac is probably the the center layer. I mean, I know you're going for the joke there, but I don't think you're actually that wrong. So No, I'm serious. If you, if you actually, <laughs> actually, actually watch the Steamboat Willie cartoon, which I guess we can now play clips of. <laughs> Mm-hmm. on the show since it belongs to everybody lauren i don't know if you could like see if you can find it lauren if we can you know just grab some clips of steamboat willie because here's the thing about the steamboat willie cartoon most people when they think of that cartoon it's just 
Steamboat Willie, Mickey Mouse spinning the captain's wheel while yeah. whistling. What you don't often see is the rest of the cartoon, which is pretty much just like 20 minutes of Mickey Mouse, like torturing animals. Yeah. If I'm remembering this cartoon correctly. So making a slasher horror flick where Steamboat Willie is like murdering its pa his passengers on a boat is actually not that far from the source material. It's not a significant departure. No, it's it's about where I mean, like you if you will, you can draw a direct line from like Steamboat Willie to Tom and Jerry to Ren and Stimpy. Like it's not that far apart. And so this, while I think it's funny to go for jokes and crack, like this sort of makes sense to me. It makes much more sense to me than the Winnie the Pooh one ever did. That's for sure. I mean, if you were going to make the profile of a serial killer, right? Steamboat, Steamboat Willie, Willie tortures animals, right? Every serial killer has that on their resume, right? Mm -hmm. Before they killed people, they usually kill animals. Yep. Secondly, doesn't talk, only whistles. Right. Tell me that's not serial killer right there. Oh, yeah. You're, if you're walking down an alley and somebody's behind you and they're just whistling, that's the last sound you're ever going to hear. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So, you know what? I'm this. This might not even be parody. No. This, I don't, is, I don't just, see this is a this is a faithful adaptation yeah. of the Steamboat Willie source material. This Steamboat Willie slasher flick. Yeah. I don't yeah. see what the I don't see what the hullabaloo is. I mean, I'm wondering, I don't know where producer Lauren is looking for the Steamboat Willie cartoon on the internet right now. I'm sure it's on Disney Plus, but I bet if you just find it on YouTube, it's there. Uh, anyway, so while while producer Lauren goes after that, and I already give you permission, producer Lauren, that if you find the Steamboat Willie clip and you want to play it, we'll just talk. We'll just stop whatever we're talking about and we'll talk about Steamboat Willie some more. OK, that's uh, that's my promise to you, producer mm -hmm. Lauren. But in the meantime, Zach, wanted to talk to you about a pretty interesting uh, piece of music news that came in over the holiday break. So over the holiday, let me see, go ahead and pull this up. Here we go. Music, Lyric and music data licensing company Lyric Find made two major announcements that are going to have direct implications for indie creators. I think you're, a lot of your production clients, Zach, and I think you as a musician are really going to get excited about these announcements. First, they announced that they've required acquired Rotor, the platform that allows artists to use AI-powered tools to quickly create a wide range of music videos, including Spotify Canvas videos, Lyric videos, Apple Motion art videos, promo videos, visualizer videos, and even traditional music videos. And you can make these videos quickly on the platform without any editing skills. It's a cool platform. That's not the exciting announcement. We already knew this platform existed. The exciting announcement is that Lyric Find has also announced that they're going to partner Rotor with CD Baby to now directly integrate the Rotor music video creation platform into the CD Baby distribution service. So now CD Baby users, while they're distributing your music, can easily, quickly, efficiently create Lyric videos, Spotify visualizer videos, all kinds of music videos right there on the platform. In a statement, Rotor CEO said, quote, we're delighted to be working with CD Baby to bring the magic of Rotor videos to all of the hardworking and talented artists who deserve to showcase their music without having to invest thousands of dollars in teams of video specialists. Our mission is to make musicians look great online as they sound by giving them an alternative to dull static image videos, amateurish homemade videos filmed on mobile and break banking or bank breaking, I should say, commissioned music videos. So I've always kind of been a fan of this platform, but it's always kind of clunky to use a separate platform from the platform that you use to distribute. What makes this platform, what makes this new solution cool is that you can use it right in CD Baby. It's going to be a huge win 
for a lot of CD Baby artists. Producer Lauren just put up a video of some of the things there in the Rotor platform. You can see on the platform how you're just you you can use their library to easily find footage if you want to make a music video. It's got lots of skins and visualizers to create visualizer videos. You can create lyric videos in a snap. And I know, Zach, you know that lyric videos are becoming increasingly uh, important for indie artists. A lot of music fans expect lyric videos. And even four or five years ago, making a lyric video was a pain in the butt. And it now sucked. with a lot of the AI technology we have, you can do it very, very quickly and make really cool lyric videos with platforms like Rotor. Well, and you know, Ryan, I haven't really made a, I don't know if I've talked about this on the show before, but I'm a CD Baby user myself. I've done all my, my distribution through CD Baby and Ooh, big I'm win a big for Zach fan. today. I know. And it's, it's cool because <laughs> I mean, a couple months ago, well, maybe six months ago, we were talking about, you know, me actually wanting to make a music video using AI just as a little experiment and rotor is actually what I landed on to use. I haven't completed it. I haven't done it yet. But then when I saw that CD baby had partnered up, I thought, okay, well that sort of makes my job a lot easier. The thing that I was planning on using anyway is now part of my, the company I typically use for a distribution. So I think it's a, a win-win for everybody who's, who's involved with this. It's pretty exciting overall. Well, you'll also be happy to know Zach as a CD baby user. I think I read that, CD baby users are now going to be able to get a 10% discount on the rotor service. So I'm glad you didn't create your music video yet, but me I mean, too. It's, it's a huge win. And I mean, I'm seeing more and more videos on Spotify that have those visualizer videos too, mm -hmm. where you have like, you know, cool images and, and, you know, artwork that displays in a, in a motion picture sense while you're listening to a song. I mean, yeah. I think of all the TikTok videos now where, you know, you watch like a clip from a movie and you just have like some kind of repeating uh, animation that keeps the eyes focused on whatever you're watching. Like the same thing works mm -hmm. for music, right? If the if the audience, if the listener has something that they can watch while they're listening to your song, it helps them listen to it longer, get more immersed in it. But those videos used to be cumbersome to make. And now they're really easy to make. And now they're even easier to make because you can use it right with your CD Baby distribution service. I love it. It's. I think it's really, really, really exciting. Uh, Rotor also looks to be pretty easy to use. And the nice thing about this is that we're getting to the point in AI where AI is getting better and better so rapidly that I think this is... I'm sure there'll be some growing pains. And I'm sure the first couple of times people use it, it will. there'll be some kinks to work out. But I, I anticipate this being a, a really big win. And also, can I underscore one thing you said? Making your own lyric videos manually sucks. It takes forever. That's why I don't do it. It's awful. Now I'll start doing it. Yeah. And people love these kind of videos. So it's a, it's a huge, huge win. I, I mean, I remember, I mean, even just a few years ago, having clients who would, you know, I would just, I would try to tell them like, you've got to make lyric videos. They're so, so important. And like, it was pulling teeth. Because it sucks. Like you you got to line up the text. And even if we get the text right, like it doesn't look interesting. Like all, like, you know, <laughs> lyric videos like my clients used to have to make 10 years ago were basically just powerpoints like, yeah just slide with text slide with more text slide with more text not engaging not a fun video but they would do it because it was good to have lyric videos and help boost engagement mm -hmm. for a song but now you can really have a lyric video that you're proud of using these kind of ai tools yeah and you know i, I don't re recall the platform that dear marcia my band we have a song called broken that we did a lyric video for and i forget the platform that we used, but I know it took our Wendy Clay forever to make a cool looking lyric video. So 
Now I'm going to rub it in her face, Wendy, if you're listening. That took you a long time. It would have been way faster with Rotor. I dig. Yeah. Love these kind of solutions. And I love what I what I love most about this story is that it's just the latest example of a phenomenon that we report about a lot here at Break the Business, which is distribution services partnering with other platforms mm-hmm. to create an augmented experience for their users, right? Because as we've noted before, CD Baby, DistroKid, TuneCore, these distribution services, they're offering essentially a completely fungible product, right? All yeah. of them can put your, you know, CD Baby can put your music on Spotify just as easily and effectively as TuneCore can, just yep. as easily and effectively as DistroKid can, right? There's there's not a lot of difference in their work product. I know people from all of these companies, they all do a great job with the core product. So for them to differentiate themselves, they need to, they are furiously adding additional bells and whistles and other services. DistroKid recently uh, talked about a lot of the tools that they were adding. We had uh, Mike Fink on from DistroKid a couple weeks ago talking about uh, all the, you know, a, a lot of the new solutions they're bringing in. You got CD Baby in here now offering the music video production services. Uh, TuneCore is adding new stuff all the time because this is the way they have to draw you in, right? Uh, right. They say, hey, you distribute with us. Not only will we get your music on Spotify, but we got all these other integrations that are going to make your music distribution experience more effective, reach your audience faster, and save you some money. And the musicians win when that kind of stuff happens. Absolutely. And I also... I love it when CD Baby does something because that means TuneCore and DistroKid also have to do something and vice versa. And I think them all competing with each other ultimately provides better better options for the indie, indie artists who use the services. So keep going for it, guys. This is fantastic. Before we go to the next segment, Zach, I, I, have, I have received the thumbs up from producer Lauren yes. that she has found the Steamboat Willie cartoon. So since we no longer have to worry about copyright, let's go ahead and play some footage from this 1928 public domain classic to test my theory. Because I, if I remember this cartoon correctly, Steamboat Willie's like torturing animals and stuff. And maybe I'm just completely wrong. No, no you're going to get us kicked off Twitch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Is that sadistic? Okay, so I was watching, like I had loaded up the beginning of Steamboat Willie and I have it playing in the background while I'm like talking to you guys or listening to you guys. I guess I'm not talking. And all of a sudden I look at my screen and I was like, wait, what is happening right now? And and so and again, this is no research, but uh, <laughs> this took me two minutes to find. Right, we're gonna share this tab instead. All right, let's see what we got here. Yeah, most people don't know that this Steamboat Willie cartoon is horrific because nobody gets past the first thirty seconds of the cartoon of him. Right, he's like steering a boat, and we're like happy yeah. and doing things. And I was like, yeah, okay. And then all of a sudden, I looked down and I was like, wait, his song just goes. Oh, oh, he's pulling a cat's tail. That's no, that's, that's how you no, no, no. And then he's like, swinging now he's the cat. swinging the cat around. But look at his eyes while he's swinging that cat. Like he's like, no. Cold, dead eyes. Now he's strangling some what appears to no, be like some kind of No, don't say it, Ryan. You're gonna get us demonetized. <laughs> uh, like he strangles this guy for a little while, and then he goes on to the pig, which I don't know if we're even to the pig, but like there's this mommy I'm, I'm, pig. I'm, I'm, oh, I don't even want to know what he's gonna do with the pig. Babies, and he just starts like pulling on all their tails, <laughs> and he's like lifting them all up, like you don't want to be dead. And then he's like. Yeah. Okay. So I hope Peter Martin going. can see this because I want him to tell me I what like, mode they were using. I was like, I'm not joking. Like, he keeps going. He's like, why are you still holding on? So he. Oh, what are you thing? doing to that pig, you monster? 
oh, and she's like crying and screaming. I can't. Like, I just was he just happen. sexually assaulting a pig? Uh, I want to say yes. Oh my god. Yeah. So I wasn't expecting that. I was like, I'll load up Steamboat Willie. And then I looked at it. I was like, what is happening? How yeah, is I was Disney... joking. How is Disney lot not locked this cartoon deep into its vault next to Song of the South? Dude, dude, when I said you're gonna get us kicked off Twitch, I was being serious. It's public domain day. We have to celebrate. I mean, I, I'm starting to think that this this Steamboat Willie uh, slasher movie they're gonna make can't possibly be as horrific as what I just saw in this cartoon. All you have to do is put it in a minor key, like just do the exact same video but move it down. Oh, see, I don't even. I think I think the overly cheery yeah, no based music actually makes it more horrifying keep it in yeah the fact that it's like happy happy music while mickey mouse is uh, <laughs> destroying all these animals like that makes it so much worse so is the music public domain as well that was in that video because i assume it has to have been around at least that long right so yeah this the, like everything in the movie should be fair game because it all came out in the 1920s. I was just so. like, do, 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 and I was like, wait, can I do that? I can. Yeah. I can do that. Also, Lauren, you need to tell the live streaming audience what you have attached to your fingers. Yeah, Wolverine. Because, <laughs> yeah, you, you have like, like Wolverine chopstick claws <laughs> that you're just like eating. First of all, eating during the show. Super professional. But It's cotton candy, though, so you can't hear it crunch. <laughs> <laughs> White cotton fluff. Hmm. These were in everybody's stocking this year. You can't see them, but they're like chopsticks that go on the inside of your finger. Yeah. We should get sponsorship. I am not getting ad money for this ad. But they're super fun. And then your fingers don't get dirty when you're typing or like playing your video games. Oh, my God. Anyway. I'm sorry. I, like, Quite I, entertaining. Whatever you're saying is is great and terrific, but I don't know how you can eat after what we just saw. <laughs> All right, let's let's move I to a palate cleanser here. I want to debut a new segment this week, and I need Zach and producer Lauren's help. <sighs> I was about to run away. This okay. is probably going to be a disaster, but you know yes. we workshop stuff live on the air. If it works, great. If it doesn't, we pretend like it never happened, but we don't rehearse. So the idea I had this week is to do a break the business news quiz where I would pit producer Lauren against whoever our co-host is this week and quiz you about stuff that's happening in the news. Don't worry. You don't need any background knowledge of anything happening in the industry. These are multiple choice questions. So you can make educated guesses, but they could be ways for us to, you know, talk about some things going on in the industry. Now, here are the rules. There are three questions. The first two if, uh, if you're tied after the first two questions, we'll do the third question as a tiebreaker question. And the tiebreaker question is a numbers question. So whoever gets closer to the correct number wins the whole game. Make sense? Yes. Do we have any kind of music? Like, Can we, can we get some game show music for this segment that I'm just making up on the fly here? We, Steve uh, Willie. I would love <laughs> yeah. I don't have that. We were talking you know about what? eating the ducks. You know can what? Can we get the Steamboat Willie music? Sure. Why not? Yes. Sure. Would you like it from the beginning? <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Sure. Is there not? a way we can get the audio without having me look at it, though? A hundred percent. Okay. But I don't can... make him watch it. Don't make me watch it. Okay. Okay. Music's playing. Here we go. This is the Break the Business News Quiz. So here's question number one. 
for sound effects. <laughs> Can we turn that down a little bit? In a recent column in Hypebot, music marketing expert Jesse Kirschbaum predicted that this platform will be, quote, the platform of the year for album release events in 2024. Is it A, Vimeo, B, Roblox, C, Twitch, or D, Spotify? We'll ask Zach first. Roblox. You think it's going to be Roblox? No, that was the only yep. one I was knowing on. <laughs> All right, Lauren, what do you think it is? Uh, a, and I don't remember what A was. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think it's Roblox? You seem, you seem pretty confident in Roblox. I had two kids compete in scenic design in middle school using Roblox as their platform. I had no idea what it was at that time, but I'm pretty sure you can't do both. Okay, so it's you're thinking Vimeo, the video platform. Sure. Okay. Um, well, Zach actually has this one correct. It is Roblox. No way, really? So, in the in the uh, the bird <laughs> is Zach's already doing his victory lap. In the article, call Jesse me Russell Gershbaum Wilson, baby. Wrote <laughs> once the AI why because you're benched. Once the AI yeah. plugins make building easier. Everyone's going to flock to it for their album release event. Artists like 21 Pilots have done album events on Roblox where you can have your little robot people like come and watch a concert event on the platform. And it's true. Like the AI creation tools are so good. Like people are doing all kinds of things in Roblox. I've seen Roblox football games, Roblox hockey games, Roblox live concerts. And I think with the rise of virtual reality, you're going to see a lot more artists using this platform as part of their release strategy, which is pretty wow, exciting. Wow, that's cool. I thought it was amazing. I think it's that super dope. Children were doing designs on it. And I'm like, oh, very cool. I thought it was going to be like a Minecraft thing when that started, where people were doing like staged mm -hmm. events. I Same like idea, it. though. Yeah, um, no, I, I like the virtual world. So Zach's up one to zero here. The next question. DSPs, Spotify, and Deezer have objected to this country's recent proposal to impose a 1.75% tax on music streaming, the revenues of which would be used to train and support musicians in that country. Is it A, Brazil, B, Japan, C, France, or D, Nigeria? And we'll have Lauren answer this one first. France. All right, Zach, what do you think? <laughs> He's going to go Nigeria. I was going to go France. Uh, That'd be a good strategy. Because if, if you both make the same yeah. guess, you know what? then you're going to win France. by default. We've already found a flaw in this game. <laughs> make a note. Next time we do this, we're going to make you write your answer beforehand. <laughs> France. The answer is you France. Know what? No, no, no. That's what I was going to stay with. The answer is France. Uh, Spotify and Deezer are claiming that such a tax is going to eat into the platform's margins and put them in a weaker position against Apple Music because Apple Music basically treats the you know streaming as a loss leader, right? They're not actually trying to make money off of streaming, so they don't care uh, if their margins get thinner and you know they can stay competitive against other services. Right. I mean, I was I was kind of blown away by France. First of all, I love the idea of France trying to raise money to help you know, support their indie music community in the country. That's really cool. I'm not convinced of music streaming being the best way to raise that revenue only because like the margins are already very thin. You know, a lot of, you know, you know the streaming services note that 70% of the revenue that comes in on music streaming already goes straight to the artist. So it's not clear what, 
you know, where, what other money can go to the government unless they raise prices, which I think they should probably do anyway. Um, all right. Well, Zach has already won. So congratulations, Zach. But we'll go ahead and do the final one here before we go to break. It's a hollow it, victory with this music. Yeah, especially because I can still see in the uh, green room like the that's what's been driving me nuts. I'm watching it down yeah. in the feed, and I'm like, uh, anyway. I have a question for Zach though. Zach, uh, your Roblox answer. Did you think you were going to be right on that? I knew that was it. I remember oh, Drake okay. talking about that, or Drake's people talking about it. I remember Twenty One Pilots. Um, and just what I know, of, and also remember, I work with middle schoolers, and so this is this oh. is all pretty. This, Roblox is on my radar. It's a finger thing. on the pulse. Zach Slow knows his like stuff it. here. So right. Zach's already won. We we can firmly declare that. But we'll, let's go ahead and do our third numbers question. So the the answer to this question is a number. Whoever gets closest uh, is the winner. Uh, Taylor Swift closed 2023 with her latest album, 1989 Taylor's version at number one of the Billboard 200 albums chart. In doing so, she broke Elvis Presley's record for most weeks at number one on the chart by a solo artist. How many weeks was the Elvis Presley record? And we'll have Zach guess first. I know this. Oh, God, he's doing it's Steamboat like, Willie's doing the creepy pig thing again. Oh, God. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, While you were asking, the cat was going wow, wow, and I was like, <laughs> "I." It's like, wait, are we going prices right rules where if one person goes over, I can just say a dollar? No, no, no. Uh, okay, wait. I guess I'll go one dollar. But it, it, yeah, because then like whatever number, whatever number Zach says, Lawrence is going to say one number higher. So it's like, I want to say it's a hundred and. 132 weeks. I think no that's way. The, like a year and a half. I, yeah, it's but I thought that I didn't, you said it was Elvis. I thought it was the Beatles. 130. There's still no way it was like. Two right, Laura, years. what do you think it is? Um, I'm going to go with 33. 33 weeks. So <laughs> the correct answer is 67 weeks. 67. Oh, so Lauren got that one right. Uh, but here's closer. the <laughs> here's the scary thing. So I guess that makes it a tie. <laughs> well, damn. Well, no, Jerry got, said that didn't count. I got two right. Oh, so did she. Damn. Yeah, but no, because we already said it didn't count because that was only the tiebreaker. There was no tiebreaker. But but here's why this is scary. Because Zach was actually kind of on the right track, which makes me think he's way like he he's way too into the news. Because his 132 week answer was the correct answer, but for a different question. The all-time record for most weeks at number one for any artist, including group That's acts, total. is the Beatles at 132 weeks. But the record for solo artists was Elvis Presley at 67 weeks before Taylor Swift just broke it. Zach, are so you not the reading... same song? Are you just saying, like, that artist slash group? That artist. Okay, yeah. that makes a little more sense. Okay. So I, because I had just read, okay, so here's the other thing. I work with middle schoolers. And so Taylor Swift is also. And, and, and those middle schoolers can't get enough of Elvis and the Beatles. No, but I can tell you exactly how this, how this came up. Cause I remember it pretty distinctly. Kids were talking about the success of Taylor Swift. And this, so I started looking it up and comparing it to other artists. And so I, I saw that stat somewhere. That's how I had that number. Um, and I was, we were talking about the Stones and the Beatles and Elvis 
and we had somebody else that they were in Michael Jackson and like where Taylor compared to all of them. So I, that's how I, I got to that number, but you got the Beatles number exactly correct. Zach, exactly. because it, well, that was, I knew it was 130 something. I was kind of just guessing at that. Uh, that was luck, but that stuff is like, it's really interesting to compare what Taylor is doing now to what those artists were doing. And one thing I think that is actually really important to talk about, and I would actually like to talk to Peter Martin about this too, is I think that this singles market, now that Billboard has adjusted its for streaming, makes albums more important again. Because Aww. you can look at like the Billboard Hot 100 and like when the new Morgan Wallen, what's his name? Wallen? You know, Morgan Wallen. Yeah, you got it yeah. right this week. When Morgan Wall yeah. When Morgan Wallen album comes out, all of a sudden he has fifteen of the top twenty-five songs because right. everybody's just listening to his uh... album. And when Taylor Swift releases an album in nineteen eighty nine, she had like a third of the hot one hundred at one point. Like so I think this is an interesting thing to, to talk about. I think a third's an exaggeration, but it is an interesting it... thing to think about that albums are now relevant because of streaming when the Streaming was thought to be the singles market that would kill albums. Does that make sense? Yeah. It does. Um, and I, I'm with you. I'd love to get Peter Martin's perspective as well. Let us take a break, and we'll come back and talk with be, uh, jazz pianist and educator Peter Martin of Open Studio here on Break the Business. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in two. Ryan Corella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. Ryan Corelli here with Zach Sloan. Zach, before we bring in Peter Martin, I... I'm just so glad that he's still in the green room and he did not immediately run away when I know for a fact that the moment he logged into the show, the first thing he saw was us just like screaming in fear about how horrific the Steamboat Willie video was. And any reasonable guest would have just immediately fired their agent right then and there and logged off. Mm -hmm. But he stayed with us. God bless him. I think I'm a little afraid because part of 
and I I feel like I might get fired from the podcast because I didn't sufficiently warn you about what was about to happen. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of like you know when somebody says something and like a and like the producer gets fired. Like there's there's got to be a fall guy, and I think since your name is on the Heads podcast, will roll. Yeah, I think I think I'm the fall guy. Oh no, it's uh, we we could never, Zach. You are you're a damn national treasure. Uh, as is our guest this week. Let's go ahead and bring him in. He's an acclaimed jazz pianist, educator, and founder of the online jazz education platform, Open Studio. His latest album, Peter Martin and Generation S, dropped last month. And you can find out more about our guest's work by visiting petermartinmusic.com and openstudiojazz.com. We are happy to welcome Peter Martin on to Break the Business. Hi, Peter. What's going on, Ryan? What's up, Zach? How are you guys doing? Doing very, very well, sir. It is, it's an honor to be speaking with you. I mean, the first thing I'd probably mention since we're talking with a jazz great right now is so many of the most impressive musicians that I grew up with, like who I went to school with, and I know are doing amazing things in music right now. The one unifying thread that all of them have, even though some of them are rock artists and some of them are pop artists. They all did a little bit of jazz in school. They were in the jazz band. They went to jazz camp. They were studying jazz, and that background really helped them flourish into whatever kind of musical genre they went into later in life. Do you hear kind of similar stories? Do you do you endorse jazz as like a great style of music to learn wherever, despite or wherever you might go in your musical journey? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are truly the Steamboat Willie of music education we're the we're the entry point you know we're, we're just coming out of copyright so it's super convenient too um no i think um <laughs> well it's funny you guys were watching that because that's that's what a lot of people think of when they think of jazz is the kind of music that's in those early cartoons and what? perhaps it, it you know it, it kind of has some early jazz connotations in sort of a caricature way I mean, it's it's jazz that's playing just like that's a uh, those are real pigs. You know what I mean? It's a similar kind of connection. They they have the tail like a pig, um, but no. So I do think that jazz is a great. I mean, I love jazz. I love the art form. I love the niche of what it is. But it's also a great place to learn how to play music. How to like it's so inclusive in terms of the skills that you need. I mean, I grew up really playing classical music first. Both my parents are classical musicians and my dad played the St. Louis Symphony for many years. So I kind of came up on that scene. I went to Juilliard. I love classical music. But when I got into jazz, I realized, you know, as stuffy and ostentatious as us classical musicians can be, uh, there's actually a whole world of, you know, harmonic knowledge and rhythmic knowledge and understanding of different grooves and stuff that classical music doesn't necessarily require that jazz does. So What's been fun for me with Open Studios, we have a lot of our members, a lot of students come to us that are really only interested in jazz, at least when they come in, for for what it can do to inform their gospel playing or their blues playing mm. or how they can learn about specific, you know, advanced harmonic concepts or basic harmonic stuff. Um, and so naturally, because I'm kind of a, a pretentious jazz player at heart, I, I shaped at that at first, but now I've come to embrace it, you know. And um, I think it's just, it's a great, um, in the same way, maybe that like for piano, you know, being a pianist, like the classical music is a great foundation for the technique of playing the instrument that you can take to any other form. I think jazz is a great foundation for ear training, for harmonic development, for all those kinds of skills. 
And I am interested in learning more about Open Studio and having you talk more about it. And we're definitely going to get into that in depth. Before we do, though, Peter, I I have it on good authority that my my dear co-host Zach Sloan uh, has a bit of a bone to pick with you about one of your opinions on one of his like I guess one of his most treasured pieces of art. But I don't want to speak for you, Zach. Uh, you have at Peter. What, what did you want to say to him? Kind of blue is overhyped. What? What? <laughs> what? Is it not? I mean, is it not overhyped? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess that is actually the perfect response. <laughs> what? What is kind of blue for for the jazz illiterate of on the show? <laughs> dude, kind well, of kind blue, of blue. Go ahead, dude. You're the authority. You talk about no, 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 no. no. Now, now I feel bad. I'm the overhype. I'm like the hype. You're the hype man. I'm the anti-hype no. man. So, kind of blue is my is a. It's a Miles Davis album, and as a teacher, whenever I need my kids to focus but be creative, that's actually the album I put on. And I have just grown, I think, probably to unnecessarily love it because I associate it with like getting good stuff done in my classroom, and it's just a great record. Uh, so when I'm watching your top 10 jazz albums video, and I see you have several albums that you, you kind of crack on as being overhyped, I just had to like bring it up because I was a little surprised by that, but then... When you said right now, is it not overhyped? I was like, oh man, he, he might actually be right. <laughs> well, look, I mean, overhyped, Peter. Overhyped by you and many others and myself, too. I mean, I've, you know, on our podcast, on our You'll Hear podcast, we've probably referenced that recording more than any other record. I've recommended it. I've bought, it's funny, you know, it's like usually when I go to Amazon, it's like $4.99 for a CD. I don't even like have many CD players. I just buy it because I'm like, well, that's a great deal, you know. Um, I've got sta I've got them all around. I give them out as gifts. I use them as coasters. I think it's probably. I mean, if you were to wake me up in the middle of the night and say, "What's the greatest jazz record ever?" I'd be kind of blue, kind of blue. And um, my point with that, um, please don't come to my house and wake me up in the middle of the night. Uh, but my point is with that video was that it's not the only record, and some other ones weren't right. either. And I was mainly cracking on, to be honest was some a space that i saw on youtube that uh you know everybody's doing their top 10 jazz records and it's always the same records and i think we do ourselves a diversity uh, a disservice when we don't see the full diversity of kind of albums out there so if i go to a top jazz records i want to see i want to see some that i don't know i mean i consider myself an aficionado and expert but there's a lot of stuff i don't know i don't need to go on youtube to see some guy saying kind of blue is great you know we all know that that's great and um and that was my thing. It was also to get clicks and views, which it worked. So uh -huh. I, you know, I was <laughs> you got me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you no, fell I think for the bait, Zach Sloan. <laughs> hey, it's a good. He actually, it's actually, I think, a, a cool list. You've got some Herbie Hancock stuff on there, and I, I uh, overall, like, I just mostly like to argue about Miles Davis. But I have a question for you as a jazz. And I do have some Miles on there. I have a very you unusual do. record of Miles on there. It's an um, album yeah, I had never great. listened to, so I'm going to yeah. look forward to tracking it down. But let me yeah. ask you this, because I love asking this question to jazzers, because I get a, such a mixed reaction. Yeah. What is your opinion, if you've even heard it, of Prince's The Rainbow Children? Um, I've heard it, but it's been a long time now. Can you refresh me on what that is? It, it is his concept album about being a Jehovah's Witness that is done in in a his interpretation, I, I believe, as in an in a jazz type setting with an actual live band recording it live, live yeah. to tape. Um, very, but very funky jazz. Um, yeah. you know, with just, I think really the keyboards or the musicianship really kind of goes off, goes out of control there, but 
it's a uh, it's an album that I found that some jazzers really really love and some people just nobody seems to hate it. Some people just don't really remember it, and I think that maybe what maybe what I just love it because I love Prince. Raspberry yeah, Beret is uh, on that album, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> 1999. Um, I mean, I think. Uh, <laughs> I want to go back and check it out. I I love almost everything I've heard from Prince. I'm I I adore his music. I think he's just one of the master artists. Um, I mean, I've heard some stuff that some people would say is jazz inspired. To me, everything that he does has some jazz, and especially blues. You know, obviously R and B, rock. I mean, all these different influences, gospel. You know, almost to the point of like kind of a rare artist where it's almost ridiculous to talk about different influences because they're all there without it being you know just a cacophony of crap like some people are um i mean i think he's a genius i think he was a genius and uh you know i mean i I put him up there like with these kind of artists like a stevie wonder or something where you can be like there's definitely like so like i'm more familiar with stevie just because i'm a stevie wonder nut and um in terms of his specific influences and stuff and he was very influenced by jazz and knew a lot of jazz and um, did certain projects like Secret Life of Plants that were more a little bit underground because they were so over the top instrumental in jazz and things like that. But then obviously he's got everything from that to the hits and stuff. Well, and for any of our listeners out there, uh, if I recall, you have a you have a video on the five levels of Stevie Wonder, right? And um, yes. And I I feel like I saw that a while back and enjoyed it. But I wanted to ask you this because you brought up gospel and I was digging through some of your videos and some of the materials um, on, I'm spacing it now, not you'll hear it, but open, say studio. the name, open studio, open studio, open studio right. jazz. Um, you so have, you must have been at openstudiojazz.com. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I, we have I was, the website under the bottom of the screen. Oh, great. Peter, oh, no wonder I'm thinking about plug, it. <laughs> although that was a great plug. That was a good that, way to fix my memory. But you were talking about using <laughs> jazz to influence gospel playing and, and vice versa. And as yeah. a rock musician or maybe country musicians who listen to this or even, you know, lo-fi artists and, and things like that, what's... What types of things can we rip from jazz to make our playing more interesting or just even, mm. frankly, more fun? Because sometimes I have a good time just stealing some jazz licks that I know. Um, yeah. Wh- what are your thoughts on using it for multiple genres besides what we've already talked about? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, great entry points are, you know, um, harmonic things you know like for guitar for piano whatever or or really for any instrument like if you're improvising um you know upper extension like alterations things like that to bring different colors to chords or to harmonies when appropriate you know i mean when appropriate is whenever you want but i mean i think that there's way no i mean i don't want to be hey do it do it when the jazz guy says jazz police are coming for you no but i think it's like when it's this I, i don't look at it as that different as things that we take from rock or R&B or um, gospel into jazz, which of, the, of which there's a lot of that, where there's a way to do it where it's just like, a, a, you know, an affectation that's kind of like, you know, you're putting a, hat, a silly hat on, hey, look at this, and then you're taking it off. But like, how do you take that influence? I look at a band like Weather Report that I listened to a lot when I was growing up, and I got to see them live when I was like 13 years old, and it was like, whoa, and I was being in a classical and into jazz, but I didn't actually, I mean, I knew some fusion cause I listened to Chick Corea and stuff. But I never thought about it like that, but I, and I listened to rock and pop and like rap and stuff that was on the radio of the day. But I remember weather report. It was like, 
they were taking specific elements from rock. And I mean, of course, they called it fusion, but also funk, you know, um, but putting it in this kind of jazz setting. But to me, it sounded the other way around. It sounded like a rock band that knew how to play jazz, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think that that kind of borrowing, you know, when I've seen it done really successfully is when it's 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 really just like you hear something that you like and you pull it in in an organic way and you make it a part of the music and you don't make it a thing of like, do I have to ask the gospel people if this is okay if I do this, you know? I've never done that. I mean, I used to worry about that. But um, I think as, as I'm playing more over the years and getting a chance to play with different artists, you know, like Roy Hargrove, I worked with him a lot when I, well, I met him when we were both in high school, but it's like people that can go in and out of different music in a fearless way. I've gotten better at doing that just by, by, by example, but then by my love of different styles of music, you know? So it's like, how can we pull those in? But I think the harmonic thing is, is something that a lot of people are interested in. Uh, guitars, pianists and stuff pulling from jazz. Or it's like, man, how did you do that chord? Stuff that seems pretty um, normal to us is really interesting to other players. And then things that I hear, I remember I got a chance to play with uh, George Porter a couple times when I used to live in New Orleans. And, you know, he was legend, is legendary bassist, played with the meters and did all this stuff. And we did some jazz gigs and he was always excited to be able to like play all these jazz tunes. And I wanted to play the meters, you know, play the funk stuff <laughs> with, the, with the master, which we did a little bit, but I mean, like to me, the stuff that he could do where he just like, you know, do those lines, a pocky way, all that stuff where like he wouldn't vary. He would just stick right to it, but it was just right in the pocket. But then he was kind of like, man, I love you guys. Are, like you play this quarter, then I can just change it. So, I mean, I think for him, it was fun to go do some other stuff where he wasn't locked in. And for me, I was like, we need to get locked in like that groove like that, you know, um, so I think it's fun. Jazz, I think, is a great connector with a lot of different music. It's one of those musics that can overlap with classical. It can overlap with rock. It can borrow from funk. Like, it's it's pretty good at that. So every musician can benefit from learning a little or a lot of jazz. And so I'm thrilled that you developed this open studio platform that has all of these great resources, all of these great jazz legends coming together to help uh, teach people in the online setting. As somebody who has been a longtime jazz educator, what drew you to the online world as a way to teach people jazz through Open Studio? Well, it was really um, thinking about how could I share information, knowledge. Uh, this is what it was initially, you know, with more people than I could actually sit down with in a lesson. So it was always up to that point. It was like... Um, you know, I had great teachers, starting with my mom. I, I, my mom is a Suzuki violin teacher, and I was doing that from when I was like two and three years old. Uh, so it was always in, in my house. And then I had really good piano teachers growing up. I had a lot of great musical privilege in terms of education. So, I mean, I was exposed to fantastic teaching. So I kind of knew what that was. And then um, I got a chance when I was 14 years old to meet Wynton Marsalis, the great trumpeter, of course. Um, he, was, he was playing with... Um, the St. Louis Symphony. And my dad was playing uh, with, with them at the time. And he was talking to him at, and I mean, Winton was young. He seemed old to us at the time, but he was probably like 23, 24. He was like early twenties. You know, this is right when he was got a Grammy for playing classical and jazz, wearing the suits and the whole thing. Um, mid eighties. But I mean, my dad was talking to him and he said, you know, my son and some of his friends have this jazz group, but they really, they don't really know what they're doing. They need some help or whatever. And Winton said, bring them to the rehearsal tomorrow. I'd love to meet them. So we got to skip school and come down and meet Winton. 
And that was like a life-changing thing for me because he was very like, you know, I mean, I loved his playing and I was just getting into jazz and I'd heard his records and I'd just seen him play on the Grammys. Uh, but he was also like very giving with information. He he he's the first one who kind of told me about Thelonious Monk. Although I told my dad, it's like you guys Thelonious, and my dad's like I've been listening to his records, trying to get you to listen to that for years, you know. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was like, that's dad music. That's like those dad genes you got. Um, but you know, went and so and went and gave me his phone number and said, you know, keep in touch if you have any questions. And so it really became like kind of a mentor situation and then i had other great jazz musicians in, in st louis where i grew up and then later on in new orleans when i moved down there that helped me along playing with betty carter and stuff so i mean it was really it was about sharing information that i got and so i sort of had the idea of of uh, yeah i started touring a lot over the years and i would meet young musicians and they're like can i get a lesson when you come to town or whatever i'm going all around the world playing with different people and i would meet with some of them but i just never had time like we're playing and then you're going on to the next city and so i had this idea about uh, you know trying to do something where i'm just posting one way making some videos addressing specific issues that people were always asking me about um and i was just like you know maybe people will watch it maybe not also i was teaching up at northwestern university for a few years in the music department and um I, I, in in the the jazz program and i'd always get the same questions from my students i had great students but they were like you know i'd go up there for the day i'd fly up in the morning teach all day and then come back in the evening i was so tired and then i get these emails from them. they're asking you know how was that fit you know nerd stuff nerd piano questions what was that fingering you showed me and i was so sick of like typing out the answers that i just started putting a camera and this was before iphone so i had a flip cam which was like OG potato quality, you know, um, and I'd set it on the piano and I would just make a video demonstrating for them and then they could watch it and start and stop it. And that's when I first started realizing like certain concepts are better on video than in person because a really good student can sit there and watch it, pause it, watch it again, watch how my hand is, you know, so it was more technical stuff I was showing them. And then that really became the beginning of something called two minute jazz that we put on YouTube that was, it was actually originally on um, Apple podcast. When Apple first started podcasts on iTunes, it was video only. And uh, my co-founder, Dan uh, kind of had an idea and he's like, why don't we, why don't we put your, some of these two minute videos you have already made on, on, on the podcast and just see what happens. And like the next day after we posted the first couple of one of them, we got all these, like I was featured on the iTunes page for number one music commentary because they didn't have any other videos and Apple was like starved for content. It was just luck. The, the videos were horrible. The video quality was bad. I was like kind of dour and, and mean in my attitude, but I went to number one on the charts then. And so that would be, kind of became my first fans of my teaching. And I started getting feedback like, oh, that's so cool. Can you make another video? And I was kind of like, for what? Um, but I, but you know, I just sort of slowly was would see different times, and then YouTube came out. We posted some of them there, and uh, I told Dan, I was like, this YouTube play thing is crap. No, this is never going to catch on. Um, turns out I was wrong. That that platform did work out. Uh, but we would just experiment with different things, early internet stuff, and then once I saw that we were really getting traction, um, I started thinking more like, what would this look like as you know, a, as a real business. And then we, we formed Open Studio. I brought in some of my friends that were fantastic artists and teachers, you know, and that was sort of some of the first courses. But yeah, I still didn't did realize it was still very really one-way. How'd you get all these really big jazz names to 
contribute lessons and curriculum to open studio. I have enough trouble getting like jazz musicians to join me on an email to talk about a contract. And you got like all these big names in jazz to just like be on your platform. You must be quite the uh, sweet talker, charismatic individual. Yes. And I blackmailed them. Oh, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I really started with friends that just happened to be great artists. I mean, I got, I I was trying to get Diane Reeves because I'd been touring with her for years. Um, and she was kind of like, I don't really teach. I don't know. I was like, okay. So, but then I got some other, like I got Christian McBride. Once I got Christian, um, who's a fantastic, I mean, he's like, he, it's funny. I don't really think about him as a legend, but we go do gigs and they introduce him as legendary. And I've known Christian since he was 15 years old. I was 16 when we met. Um, so uh, he's amazing. Once I signed Christian, like a lot of things happened. Diane called me. It was like, I want to do one of your open studio things. You know, like he really opened the door because his thing, it was beyond just piano. It was beyond just me. I mean, I had some other artists, but he was sort of the first name artist and that helped out a lot. But it was really just, you know, people that I had toured with. It wasn't everybody that I called. I wanted to get people that really had the charisma and teaching chops in addition to being great players that really could pull this off. Because it's hard, like, teaching in front of a camera as opposed to teaching an individual. Not everybody can do it, you know, and it, it takes time. I mean, I've done a lot of, I've done like 13 or 1400 lessons at this point. So it's, um, it comes relatively easy to me, but it's still, you know, you have to really get into another zone. It, t- it takes some practice. Well, that's excellent. I encourage our viewers and listeners to check out openstudiojazz.com and and take advantage of the, thousands of educational resources in jazz that are that you can find there whether you're a jazz musician or not you can all benefit from learning a little bit about what this medium can do for you as a musician i also would have you check out petermartinmusic.com to check out our guest peter martin's latest album peter martin and generation s which dropped last month a lot of great stuff to check out there Uh, our guest has been peter martin he's the founder of open studio a legendary jazz pianist educator and the founder of open studio peter before we let you go we got one last question for you do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward Mm. well i think uh the biggest thing that comes to mind is to create you know create something every day it's 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 really easy for us to forget that that is the best um you know, activity and product that we can do to leverage what it is that we're doing, right? So I think it's very important to get the things um, around the edges correct. But if you don't have a great piece of a great product, I hate to call it product. Actually, I don't really care anymore. I've been doing it so long. But at first, I used to really shave because the product is us. You know, we think about like, I'm not a product, I'm an artiste. But what it really is, is we need to create something that the world needs. So that's a very unselfish act, actually. So the product, be that music, be that lessons, be that a YouTube video, be that a podcast, whatever it is, you know, do what you want to do, but don't get caught up in like, which one should I do? You know, try one today and then try another one tomorrow. You'll know what resonates with you, what sounds good, what works, and then you'll start to find an audience. But if you don't create something every day and you just research or you just try to find out the perfect microphone or you just try to assemble the perfect team or raise money or whatever. And, you know, look, I'm a hypocrite. I've gone down all these roads. That's why I know. But um, I think because of my love of music, I was always 
like participating in music and somehow and I always come back to that as my strong suit and you know even as I get involved with all these other things and so uh, you know as whether you're getting started whether you've moved along a little bit and then you're coming back or wherever it is is make sure you're putting that time into creating things and not everything that you create is going to be a masterpiece and some things maybe you don't let see the light of day or don't make it into the world um but try they not to be, be steamboat Willie. selfish exactly just think if they had to put that out there you know how did that last all these years that I will, i'll never understand but <laughs> um yeah it's just like make something make something every day it's it's that that's the fun part of it anyway so that'll keep you going that's really great advice uh tremendous insight peter we really appreciate you joining us this week really enjoyed our conversation with you and we really appreciate you tolerating our nonsense for the last 20 minutes or so you're good likewise egg. likewise thank you guys right on all right that's uh, peter martin from open studio everybody our thanks to peter martin producer lauren zach sloan steamboat willie and all of the you viewers and listeners for checking out break the business our guest next week is going to be alan jenkins of harvard law school the professor we'll see you next week